Hi, I'm sitting here with the lovely Shalina. And I'm sitting here with the lovely Neka. Welcome to What's Your Safe Word? A podcast about declarations of resistance by us, Women at the Center. So, what are we drinking? We are drinking Inniskillen East West Pinot Grigio, and it's a part of the Discovery series. And it's a 2017 as well. We were gifted this. So excited. Uh, for a gift for the podcast. Uh, so a special shout out to Trelawney, uh, who has been listening since the beginning. Mm. And we're so appreciative of this wine. And so we're going to try it. Yep, so yep. cheers, Neka. Cheers, Shalina. Mm-hmm. Oh. It is so good. This is really interesting. Trelawney suggested that um, it's a perfect blend that sort of balances Shalina's very, very, very sweet tooth <laughs> with my very, very, very dry tooth. Yeah. And honestly, from first sip, I am liking this. Yeah, it's got that juicy feeling. And it's got that tangy feeling. So we're <laughs> okay. good. It's a great start. That's good. All right. Should we start with our check-in? I think we should. Perfect. Uh, so we can talk about mental noise first. Do you want to go? Sure. So my mental noise is I was driving in the car yesterday, two days ago, and I was talking to my partner over the phone. He was also driving. We were both coming home from the city. And I realized that, like, over the past year, really, there's been, like, a lot of emotions that have been happening in my life and a lot of different things. And I realized that I haven't been completely dealing with them Hmm. because as soon as something happens, I go straight to my phone or I go to the TV or I go to social media and I'm just like distracting myself and I'm not really dealing with things. Hmm. So then like, so something upset me the other day and I literally like got off the phone with the person and went downstairs and got on my phone and didn't even think about it until the next day when um, I had to actually see that person in person. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, I haven't even thought about how I feel about the conversation last night because I was too busy distracting myself. And so like, I think just really realizing that like at some point I'm going to have to like unpack the feelings that I've been feeling with like couple, like not just one relationship, but like many relationships in my life and like really unpack how I feel about those things and have to like look those emotions in the face and I like I'm now on my journey to do that and try to like get more in touch with like how I'm feeling I feel like it's like some sort of like midlife crisis that's coming up or something like midlife at all of the (laughs) astounding age of yes it's a quarter life crisis quarter life crisis okay but yeah anyway I think that's my mental noise just like realizing that there's like been a lot and like having to unpack things and try, really trying not to distract myself with like like social media and things that can turn your brain off, you know, yeah. just like in an instant. So technology is actually not your friend in those instances because it's, it's actually a, a device, literal, a literal device that's helping to mask. Yeah. Huh. And like I used to be so in touch with like the way I felt about things, like I knew how I felt. And I think, like, maybe just emotions have been, like, too much or something like that, where I've just been, like, I don't I don't want to know how I feel about Aww. this. I want to, like, just, like, escape from it. And so, like, yeah, like, really trying to 
take back my own emotions and like try to step away from these like very large distractions. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. Um, my mental noise is very, very different. Uh, <laughs> very, very nothing to do with technology, but it's about human relationships and professional courtesy. So we have actually we had it yesterday. We had a, a consultation with um, Legal Aid Ontario. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're doing a series of community engagements and reached out to women at the, the organization because they wanted to hear from survivors who had utilized um, you know, legal aid services at some point as they, they were navigating family courts. So I spent, honestly, months, months coordinating, I called it herding cats, coordinating trying to coordinate the schedule for their CEO, their board chair, their team, and a whole bunch of survivors, um, especially uh, women from our Kingston chapter, our Owen Sound chapter, um, trying to get women together who could then come together to provide input. And managed to get, I think, about eight women, diverse survivors from across the province, and then asked Legal Aid if it was possible for them to pay uh, Shalina's looking at me as an oh my god Necker you're calling them out I'm calling them in <laughs> I, I then asked whether Legal Aid um, Ontario was going to be able to pay for like travel, honoraria for women because a, a lot of these women were taking the day off work in order to be able to come and do this and they said I'm very sorry um, thank you for arranging this but we, we have no money in the budget for honoraria so I said okay do you have money in the budget for refreshments, I mean, tea or coffee. And they said no. So we show up yesterday at lunch, at lunchtime for a two hour meeting. And I kid you not, there was not a, a, a spit of water. So disappointing. Um, at the table. And I, I, f I called them out on it. I called them in on it and said that it, it really is not acceptable that you're, you're trying to get input from women. And th this is about, again, equity, equity seeking organizations, equity-seeking individuals who, if you want input, facilitate, make it possible so that people can provide input. Yeah. I, we ended up having to pay with no, no budget, so it's personal income, personal monies from the board and the team to pay for one of our members for her drive uh, from, on uh, from Kingston and for her babysitting, so just so that she could be there. So that was mental noise about how organizations that have, you know, budgets. And I understand that LAO has a lot of cuts happening right now um, because of the Ford government, and I, I'm calling. Uh, there's a lot of cuts going on, but for goodness sake, yeah. coffee, right? Two, big, two dollars of coffee is, is, not <coughs> is not too much. So that, that was my mental noise. That yeah. uh, Again, it was on the backs of survivors women who have limited resources, who are expected to come and provide all this expertise, because we are the experts, for free. Mm -hmm. And then give our expertise and then not have tea or coffee at the table. It was deplorable. So, you know, I just wanted to put it out there that organizations, if you're going to bring survivors in, if you're going to ask them, please, the very minimum, have some tea have some tea and have some coffee and if you're really really trying to be helpful pay for women's parking and their, their babysitting
Yep. That's what advocacy looks like. That's exactly <laughs> what advocacy <laughs> looks like. <laughs> um, we can switch to gratitude. Uh, my gratitude is over this past weekend, we had two gatherings of friends come over. So we had a bunch of friends come over on the Friday, and then we had uh, friends that are moving out to North Bay come over on the Saturday and stayed until the Sunday. And so I'm just so grateful for friendship and like opportunities to spend time together with like people that you just love and cherish and don't get to see enough. And you know, it sucks. I feel like when you're younger and you have all this time in the world, right? Like when all you have to do is like high school or something and you have all this time to spend time with people, you like don't fully know how to develop <laughs> yeah. relationships. Yep. And then when you're an adult, and you get so close to people, you're like so busy all the time. And so you don't always get that time to fully appreciate the people that you've surrounded you, like in your life. Right. And so anyway, I'm very grateful for that this weekend. Hmm. I love that. Um, in continuation of my rant about uh, Legal Aid Ontario, my <laughs> gratitude is actually to all uh, the members um, of Women at the Centre who actually showed up to provide input in that consultation. And so I, I was, as always, blown away by the brilliance and the grounded analysis that these women um, brought and being able to take their lived experience. And for a lot of us, it was trauma right, navigating family courts, but being able to distill that trauma and find the lessons that we could then share with LAO to help improve their services so that other women benefit. So my gratitude is to, I'm, I'm just going to name a couple of them, um, our board, two of our board directors, Linda Calafatidis and Sarah Weller. Um, we have Esther Geringer at, out in um, uh, Owen Sound and Ruby um, Ruby Frank, who Ruby wasn't in on the call, but Ruby was part of, of developing it, and Natalie Zhang, who came from from um, Kingston. from Kingston, and then our team, uh, Nicole Fontin Taylor, who was just badass, kickass, calling in, calling in, calling in, like she always is, like she always shows up, and uh, our two placement students, um, Autumn and uh, Allison, from Ryerson University. So, yeah, I was just profoundly grateful to be in that space with such badass women who were there to, they weren't taking guff. They were <laughs> not, they were not going to be, you know, silenced. And I'm also, having sort of called them out, I'm also going to talk about my gratitude to the CEO of Legal Aid, whose name is uh, David Field, because David actually ad admitted that how difficult it was for them to sit there and listen right and hear what we were saying it was hard it's a hard conversation but he sat and he made really genuine efforts to pay attention hear what we were saying and committed to you know re you know continuing to engage us so applaud to david field ceo at uh, legal aid ontario so uh, he's part of my gratitude and you're part of all of our gratitude, Neka. Thank you. Because you're the one that's like setting all this up. Aww. So thank you for you too. Thank you. Um, success. And then, success, yeah. So my success is that 
this is going to sound silly, but my success is that we bought a treadmill and we got it delivered yesterday and Chris got it all set up. <laughs> and it's, I'm so excited because I hate when I can't move my body. Like, I hate it. Like, when we do our adventures, so, like, we just got back from South Africa, all we do is walk every day. Mm. Like, we walk for literally, I don't know, like, 14 hours, like, a day. I do. And so then when we come back here and, you know, I have to sit for a lot of the day because I'm working or, like, I'm driving or whatever, it's, like, hard on my body. Like, I feel it, like, in my joints. I feel it, like, in my lower back. I feel it in, like, I feel it everywhere. And so, and... Like, I live in a smaller town. I don't live in Toronto. And so, like, there's not many options. Like, especially in the wintertime. Hmm. Like, I can go to a track, but it's, like, they have, like, uh, senior walks. And they have, like... And you're not senior. No. And then they have, like, stroller and parent walks. And it's, like, I don't have a baby. So, like, there's... And I mean, like, sure, there's time when, like, we're allowed to go. But it's, like, the weirdest times. And so, like, I've been getting into swimming. Mm. And then I go to yoga. Uh, and now that we're going to have, like, a try. Like, the fact that I can just, like, go for walks. Like, in your I, house. In my house. Where it's also safe. Like, that's another thing is, like, yeah. there is so many. We live in a subdivision, but it's right off, like, a really good hilly road. And I would love to go out on that road and, like, walk the hills, like, but it's dangerous. Like, it, it's literally dangerous. Ugh. And so it's hard because, like, we have so many good trails around us. And yet, like, even as, like, empowered and, like, critical as I can be, I can't. You can't it's stop. hard for me to walk into that forest by myself yep. without, like, anything. Like, Chris and I go on them all the time. But to go by myself and then, like, do I listen to music? Do I not? Because I want to, you know, it's What do you just, mean? That whether you're walking with your headphones on so that you're you're aware of who... Yeah, like, I, I need to be aware oh. kind of thing. And it's, like, it's hard because it's putting the responsibility on me where it shouldn't be. <laughs> and I shouldn't be afraid to, like, go and walk in, like, the woods that I live around. But I am. Like, in the town that I've lived in, there have been a couple of situations that where women have been killed or where women have been like startled by somebody and so it's like is that the safest thing to do mm -hmm. like I don't think so I'm not safe walking into it in your own community in my own community which is like fucked up like it's totally fucked up and it's like that should make us all fucking angry that yeah. we can't have like the independence and like the agency to go and move our bodies the way that we want to yeah. in our own communities yeah. anyway so I am happy to have like a treadmill and I'm happy that I'm able to like move my body when I want so that my body can feel good and like it's mm. moving. I like that. I don't have the same concerns. <laughs> I can, and everybody who knows me knows that. Um, but uh, so yeah, my, my success again is around Legal Aid Ontario. That's oh. a theme. Because I think the conversation that we had with them yesterday went really well and I actually did a debrief with the whole team to ask okay, what do you think what do you think what do you think and people had women had different uh, perspectives but I think it went really well because whether everybody on their end actually listened and paid attention and you know is going to take it on and do something about it I don't think that's you know the whole thing I think the whole thing is that we showed up in the space 
we had a critical um, analysis, not criticizing, but a critical analysis of you know things like what they could do better in terms of training for the for for legal aid certificate lawyers. We talked about you know financial abuse. We t we gave our our um, hard earned expertise mm -hmm. right and advice, and I think it was a huge success for all the participants. For for many of whom it was the first time they were doing this sort of. Yeah. Uh, consultation engagement with such a huge institution yeah and so i felt really really happy with the way everything turned out you know from in, your side yes well no <laughs> ignoring the the shitty hospitality and the no no <laughs> no tea no coffee no water yeah ignoring all that i think it was a really successful um engagement because you know, the women it was a chance for them to start actually using their, their voice mm -hmm. and inputting into systems in order yeah. to demand accountability and to demand change. So that was a huge success. Yeah, I just, I wanna say there a couple um, podcasts ago, we did an interview with Maya Roy, uh, the CEO of YWCA. Girl crush. And, uh, and it was a, honestly a brilliant conversation. So if you wanna go back, it's called, uh, I make abusers really, really angry. But she talks about, um, taking up space yeah and she talks about how important it is especially for her as a brown woman to take up space and be in spaces that are historically not for her yeah and that's kind of like what you just talked about right like some of these survivors it was their first time being in like kind of like a policy change exactly. setting and so like you belong there like don't ever think that your story and your declaration and your experience isn't valued and yep. it's not worthy of being in those spaces yep. because you have a spot there. Of course you do. And yeah. the way that NECA rolls is she just takes all of our team, she takes <laughs> our students, she takes everybody, and she puts them into those spaces because that's the kind of leader that she is. But uh -huh. she's also showing people, like, you're worthy here. Your voice is worthy. Your yeah. body is worthy. Like, yeah. you should be in these spaces. And so that's what's so important. So thank you, NECA, for thank doing that. Thank you for saying that. That makes me all <laughs> warm and fuzzy inside. Or maybe it's the wine. <laughs> maybe it's the wine. So our conversation this week is going to be talking about the transformative accountability and justice and justice initiative, yeah. which we've been talking about on the podcast a couple of times. And so, yeah, Neka and I are going to have a conversation today about what that is and how we got here. Yeah. Today we're going to be talking about this initiative that we've been working on for the past three years yeah. and it's really exciting because again we have our wonderful Amanda podcast producer who's going to be joining in the conversation and it's really timely because Amanda started her, your placement right around the time when we just started collating and analyzing the data yeah so this is a really it's going to be a good the conversation is just the three of us this this week so timely Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think we can start with NECA gives a really good like grounding Thank you. to how we got to like how we even got the funding and how like this idea of an alternative model of justice came about. Mm -hmm. So do you want to tell I the can audience? do that. I can do that. Well, about six years ago, we had um, a group of our members uh, came to, to me 
to say that we really needed to start looking at the way the criminal legal system was failing to meet the needs of survivors of sexual violence and how this one stop one you know one size fits all model criminal pursuing criminal um, legal system was not really really working for the overwhelming majority of survivors and we know from research that the overwhelming majority of survivors never report the sexual assault i think it's like 90% it's in the high 90s and of those that actually do report the sexual violence the numbers that actually again are, are perpetrators or aggressors who get arrested and of those who get arrested the the numbers who were charged and of those who are charged the numbers who are prosecuted and of those who are prosecuted the numbers who are convicted is minuscule it is so insignificant that it was like a, a, a futile exercise mm -hmm. but a lot of money was being put into the criminal legal system through you know uh, prosecution judges crowns and prisons that's another podcast in itself <laughs> but uh survivors were saying that this one one size fits all criminal legal system process was actually failing to meet the needs of survivors in terms of providing justice and we're going to talk about what justice looks like for survivors it was failing in terms of providing accountability for perpetrators and it was failing in terms of providing any mechanism for healing and change and change and transformation yeah. for for behavior so 6 years ago we had a I, we had a board meeting and i brought this concern up to the board and the board said well let's look at sort of what can we do about finding an alternative model of justice we initially looked at the possibility of a specialized sexual assault um court similar to the specialized domestic violence courts that we have all across ontario and very quickly realized that that specialized sexual violence sexual assault uh, court model was not necessarily the best route to take because the specialized domestic violence courts were shitty yeah they were shitty i think is the best word to describe it they were there was nothing specialized about it judges were meant to be specialized meant to have a really um different nuanced lens around gendered violence but when we did our court watch we'd show up and judges were making the most disgusting and egregious comments um against survivors and survivors were the ones that are on trial yeah right? and we actually heard like we'll get to the next couple of years but like we, when we did talk to somebody that was one of the original uh starters i guess of the specialized domestic courts her whole opinion of it was that it wasn't doing any type of justice yep. for like the survivors of domestic violence because it was actually making domestic violence less of a charge yep. like mm -hmm. less important than less like serious. an actual thank you less mm -hmm. serious and that's in Ontario we have early intervention court um for people that haven't they're supposed to be like specific um, yeah, the, the, it wasn't a serious assault. There were no weapons it involved. Was it was time. their first time. Yeah, and the, so that's called early intervention court here in Canada, and that's through the specialized domestic violence. And so what that does is it makes these very, very, very serious things much less serious in the criminal code. So that's why, again, the specialized sexual violence 
court process was not yeah it was it was not a, a route that we we wanted to take but anyway anyway so um the the board said let's start looking at what an alternative model of justice could look like so six years ago we connected with they used to be called the um ontario women's directorate they're now called status of women ontario which is part of the provincial government connected with them to say okay this is what we're thinking can you please give us some money <laughs> and they said absolutely brilliant idea but we have no money we can connect you with the Ministry of the Attorney General people, we can connect you with Toronto Police, and we have a, a good rapport, I use the word loosely, we have a good rapport with Toronto Police, and we have a good rapport with people like Victim Witness Assistance Program, we have a good rapport with some grassroots community organizations that were dealing with sexual assault and sexual violence specifically. Sexual assault specifically, but sexual violence broadly. So I started doing this sort of community outreach to organizations to say, women at the center, women survivors are saying we need an alternative model. Let's get together, put our, head, let, put our heads together and find this alternative model. Um, it took about two or three years, great conversations, great conversations, but with no real financial commitment on the part of anybody funders, government included, um, it, that was all it was, just conversation. And then in 2016, another community organization came and, you know, over more wine, I would tell you the low down, <laughs> dirty secrets, but we're not going to go there today. They came to us to say, well, we're, we're, we've been offered funding by the federal government. Um, again, they used to be called status of women. They're now called Women and Gender Equality, Department of Women and Gender Equality. This organization said to us, we've, we've been offered uh, funding. Would you women at the center like to get involved? There's another community organization. And if the three of us put together a proposal, wage states of women are willing to fund this you know, pursuit of an alternative model of justice for sexual violence. And I said, absolutely. So we developed a sort of a, a very broad work plan and each of the three organizations had specific responsibilities and I, I use specific very loosely for some <laughs> of the other organizations but for us you know what I'm going to focus on what we did um, we under the grant it was a three-year grant and we committed to do what we do best which is engage with survivors and ask survivors what is it that you, what does justice mean to you? Um, what are the components of a just model? What does accountability look like to you? And, you know, how do we develop this alternative model in a way that's going to, again, uh, be trauma-informed, be survivor-centered, hold perpetrators accountable, and create a, a really just and transformative, and I keep using the word because that's a bit of a giveaway, <laughs> just and transformative outcome that impacts everybody, right? Not just the survivor who's experienced the violence, but the, the aggressor, that that individual needs to change their attitudes about women, change their behavior so that they don't go out and um, violate somebody else. So these are the... Uh, some of the questions that we were trying to to find an answer to in our quest to develop this alternative model. So that's a, a little bit of the background. Um, 
as we we got the funding, yay, yay, yay. wage. <laughs> it was a three-year funding, and is actually uh, at the tail end. We're we're on the just on the cusp of finalizing our, our report and the framework of this alternative model. But what we found in terms of working with community organizations is that not everybody is on the same boat. We're all, you know, here in the violence against women VAW sector, but not everybody is really um, meeting what they say their mandate is. But what we did find is that there are some fucking amazing organizations who are, again, we use this word courtesy of Jade Peak, who are accomplices. Yeah. And we term them uh, uh, gatekeepers versus locksmiths. And the best accomplice locksmith organization that we've been working with over the last three years Mm -hmm. has been this fucking amazing organization out in Renfrew County called the Women's Sexual Assault Center of Renfrew County with... um, under the the fearless leadership of <laughs> Joanne Brooks and her amazing team, and special th- uh, shout out to Kim Charlebois, who I talk about girl crushes. She is my yeah. our, our girl crush extraordinaire. Yeah, she's just dynamite, Kim. Yeah. So we we really we developed a great re- relationship and rapport with the women at the Sexual Assault Center of uh, Renfrew County, who have partnered with us to really bring about to surface the, the experiences of women um, in their rural communities. And at the same time, we surface the experiences of women in urban community, be in Toronto. How's that for a synopsis? Oh, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I try. So why don't you, Shalina, talk a little about what we did yeah. in, in these past, over these past three years? Okay. So, because we are an organization that is by and for survivors, our main thing, like Naka was saying, was to actually find out what survivors were talking about and what they were saying and what they wanted. And so we did that in a multitude of ways, which we call our kaleidoscope of data. And so the first thing that we did is something that um, Women at the Center is actually known for is our court watch, like Neka said. And so previously we had gone into domestic violence um, specialized courts to watch, to audit, to be there, to be present um, in those types of courtrooms to, to see what was happening. And so we did the same thing with sex assault trials. We, again, like Neka said, don't have specialized courts, but we did find trials that we were able to go to. And so what we were really doing in those court watches is we were sitting, we were being present, and we were really trying to see how the how justice was being administrated and how the justice players were actually doing it, <laughs> right? And if they were doing it. And then we were also trying to see what kind of rape myths were being perpetuated as well as who was on the stand, right? Like who was really on trial? On trial. Mm-hmm. Was it the aggressor or was it the survivor? So we did court watches, so that was a big thing. But, like I'm sure a lot of you can imagine, is the legal system is not the easiest thing to navigate. <laughs> and so even though we had relationships within the courthouse, we had a very difficult time trying to trying to 
follow these court cases. And we would show up, and then all of a sudden, a date would be traversed, and we showed up for no reason because, you know, a lawyer had something else to do or like a judge had something else to do that day. And so it became really, really hard to navigate that and to actually like find a lot of court watches that we could follow from beginning to mm. end. Which is which is really a critique around the whole administration, I'm using yeah. the air quotes, yeah. administration of justice. Yeah, I was just going to say the same, same thing. Like it's such a... And if that was hard for us to navigate, exactly. can you imagine how it is for survivors that kind of, like, we've stepped into courtrooms lots of times to do this, but if it's your first time stepping into the courtroom, and, like, the reason that we want to be in that courtroom is to feel it, to feel the palpable, like, <sighs> feelings. It's enormous. It's, yeah, and when you are sitting in that courtroom and you are watching that survivor walk in by herself, Often, sit there yeah. by herself, and have to watch him or whoever it is, what we saw was a lot of... Um, him and her cases, but watch where, where the him was, he was the perpetrator, the perpetrator yeah. and she, and her was the the survivor. survivor. And so he would be on the stand looking right at her. And you know, like we tried our best to use our bodies to like sit closest to her or sit in front of her or like do things like that. But it's hard outside of the courtroom to really feel that tension, feel mm -hmm. that feel it and so that's why court watches are so important because you really get like the environment um I, I just to add to that i i think uh, we were talking i think two weeks ago around the the uh law and order csi factor where people you watch these american shows that present a really erroneous picture of what you know the criminal court, legal system yeah, court yeah. processes like cases are not solved in 24 hours trials are not concluded in you know half an hour and uh vic complainants testifying on the stand is not like you know a, a 10 minute episode it's it days. can go on for days and years honestly like years it can take up to like two years after like the assault Salt. or the violence has happened for yeah. you to even get into the courtroom exactly or even just talking about like how like Yes, it may be annoying for us to like have to go to court and then find out, oh, it got rescheduled, but we're there to watch and take notes. But like yeah. if you're there because something horrific happened to you and now two years later it's still impacting your day. Like you still yeah. have to like take off t take time off work, get downtown or get to whatever court you're going to mm -hmm. just to find out like it's not happening. Like imagine like the emotional labor of having to like prepare yourself. Mm -hmm time and time again to walk into that room just to have them be like oh just kidding yeah come back later sorry yeah. like that's so disheartening yeah which that, is yeah. exactly what you're saying like like, mm -hmm. like like us having troubles navigating that system yeah like navigating that system was an inconvenience for us mm -hmm. but like if you take that and apply that to what it is like to be a survivor navigating exactly. that system it's like speaks volumes yeah yeah um yeah so that was one of our uh, avenues of data. And the reason that we, we wanted to continue with like the legal process because it was such a big part of this. And so because we, we got to see 13 court watches. So I mean like it is a lot in like the scheme of things. It is. But we wanted to then get more uh, data on the court. So what we did was we used a website 
uh, the Canadian Legal Information Institute. It's called Canly. And if you're in Canada, you can open that up. And well, you if you're anywhere in the world with internet, you can open it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's probably <laughs> yeah. true. Uh, but they're only Canadian cases. Yes. They're Canadian cases. And so, anyway, we were able to look into that. And what that actually gave us was a completely different uh, approach to the legal system because when judges make their sentencing or make their reasoning, they actually put it online and put it on this database. So we were able to see what the judges actually thought and what kind of like, what kind of data, like linear kind of decision making they went mm. through. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to see that. So although we did not get like the in-court environment piece, like the palpable piece, we were able to kind of see like behind the curtain into like the judge's brain and to see why. And I mean, we got a lot of perpetuated rape myths that way. Yeah. Um, actually, we got a lot of information that <laughs> we way, did. We did. <laughs> which we're gonna, which we're going to um, unpack in our next episode when we talk about like the things that we actually found. Yeah, either our next episode or an upcoming episode. This is gonna be sorry. A, yeah, a, a series. Indeed, a, a series. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, so that was our legal kaleidoscope of data. That is what we did. We did the court watch and then we did the Canly. The next thing that we did was we did a media analysis. And so while we were doing, while we were in this project, so like Nekka said, it's been three years. So while we were doing this, Time's Up is happening, Me Too is happening, Say Her Name is happening, and all of these like social movements. Right. And we realized that there were so many declarations that were happening online that we could never get to that many people like in person. Sure. And so we really took to like needing the fact that we wanted to get an aspect like above ourselves, mm -hmm. right? Like like away from this room and away from like the few people that we could talk to. And so we did uh, an analysis on traditional media. So that was like TV, film, podcast, radio, news. And then we also did an analysis on social media. And so that was a lot of like Twitter and the hashtag me too. And I mean, if you go on Twitter and you put in hashtag me too, you're gonna find so many declarations and so many things from so many different people. And what we found is like there is a community of survivors that is much bigger than you would ever, yeah. ever think. And what, what we also found <laughs> is that misogyny is alive and well. So mm. like we, I, I, I think Amanda actually did this media analysis with me. Yeah. And we found that men were actually hashtagging Me Too as being safe. Like they were checking in as safe from Me Too because they hadn't been called out by a woman yet or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so to have that kind of analysis <coughs> happening within the media in, in completely different platforms was like very beneficial to yeah. our data. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the next thing that we did was we did one-on-one -on -one interviews with survivors of sexual assault that actually went to the police and reported. And so we did, uh, just like Neka said, we did those interviews in Toronto as well as in Renfrew County because we wanted to get an urban aspect as well as a rural aspect. And we found like a, 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 a multi-layered mm -hmm. kind of like, found a lot of things um, that are like so interesting. 
but what what those conversations were about is what how their walk through the legal system went and then what they found from it like what they got even if the person was convicted did they feel like justice was right. um given and like things like this and like if you're going through the criminal legal system and your aggressor has to plead in a non-guilty way and even if they're found guilty they have done that entire process by not taking accountability exactly so if accountability is what leads to justice which is some of the things that we found then even the people that are getting you know that yes people are um convicted convicted are those people getting uh the justice that they actually deserve so that was one of the things that we really wanted to see was does the criminal legal system actually do anything for the people that go through it the very small percentage of people that go through it yeah. um and then like if they're convicted what are the sentences like right and that is something that we also found is like the sentences were very short not at all fitting with the crime that actually happened uh, for those people. And so we really wanted to see that as well as like, if that didn't give them justice, what would justice yeah. look like, yeah. like Neka said. And, and, and the whole thing around accountability for, um, of, of the system, right? The system's accountability, it comes in two tracks, right? There's accountability of the perpetrator and then there's accountability of the system. And women come into, you, you enter the criminal legal system, you report to the police because that's what we're told to do. Yeah. You report to the police and you, you're operating on, under this false assumption that by reporting, you are going to get accountability on that dual track of yes. the individual and of the, the system. But and the when, community that allowed it to happen. Exactly. Yeah. But when you do what you're you're told you should do you report and then there is no accountability of the individual and there is no accountability of the system what that does to survivors is that it is a, a fundamental breach right a fundamental breakdown of your trust in the society in yeah. the community in which you live and, and, a, and a breakdown of your sense of self and your sense of safety and so as, as, we're, as we're, you know, going through the process, we women at the center, the team of going through the process, it, it, we're constantly saying to us, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are we saying? What are we asking women? Yeah. What are we expecting of women? What types of, of unrealistic burdens are we placing on women's shoulders to hold perpetrators and hold systems accountable when neither are going to show up and say, yeah, you know what, hands up, I did it. Yeah. Right? How are we, as a society, uh, creating these false expectations for women? Yeah. And we're using women because all of the people that we talked to were women identified, women identified survivors. Um, there was one court watch that was a same-sex case that was two men. But again, every case that we've had, it's it's been male perpetuated or male perpetrated. perpetrators yeah. so like that's why we're using that language this this was our research and yeah. these are the people that came forward and i think that like like when we we're talking about like that we're going to be doing a series on this like one of them is going to be talking about our findings and part of that is that like there were certain things that came up around like the fact that we couldn't 
find like cases around like trans survivors or non-binary survivors and that's definitely something like that's gonna be yeah exactly something that will come up in terms of talking about our findings because it's not to say that those people are not, are not impacted by this violence so or that like, it doesn't exist yeah exactly like i think that it, it definitely does in yeah. a lot of ways the communities like that are the most marginalized yeah. are targeted the most severely yeah. um but yeah so when we're saying women that's because that's what our research was overwhelmingly overwhelmingly finding and what we our research like was uh, made up of but that's not to say that this is not yeah impacting and lots of communities exactly and where we end up is because of those communities exactly. so like Absolutely. because of like the trans communities because of even like black women that were left out of like our court our court watch and our canley and things like that the place that we've ended up is is where those communities can actually find justice that's where Absolutely. they begin we've yeah. ended up where they begin exactly exactly um so yeah, so that was our one-on-one interviews with survivors of sexual assault. And then what we did is we realized that when we were doing those one-on-one interviews that we were missing an entire population of people. The overwhelming majority. The overwhelming majority that don't actually report. And so what we did then is we did focus groups, again, here in Toronto and in Renfrew County, to with survivors of sexual violence that did not report to police. And so what we found in that was talking to them about the impacts that the violence had on their life, whether that be financially, emotionally, spiritually, physiologically, like any way. And then also what kind of um, supports that they had and then what justice would look like for them because it obviously didn't go through the legal system. And so what justice would look like for them in in their own lives mm-hmm. and with that violence. And so that was our kaleidoscope of data that we did. So a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. <laughs> a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. We engaged, we were able to engage with a lot of survivors, which was really important. And then what we needed to do with all of this information and all of this data was to analyze it. Yeah. Before we get to the analysis bit, though, um, two things that I I felt were really, really important was that having this work grounded in the lives, right, having the work grounded um, and informed by the voices of diverse women was number one paramount to us. Yes. Um, Having a trauma-informed lens that you know we used to look at all the data was important to us and like very survivor centered extremely and led so, not yeah. just centered but led exactly yeah. exactly and people talk about survivor informed so this is about survivors taking leadership leading the march in, indeed yes so not just um survivor led but really looking at how whatever this new model is will actually bring about meaningful change in these men who feel that they have a right to violate women's bodies. Yeah, like real transformation. Real transformation. Yeah. Um, And I know that we just talked about uh, the analysis that we are going to do, so I'm just going to tease it a bit because... Tease it. Like Amanda said, this is a part of a series. So in the next part of this uh, transformative accountability and justice initiative series we will talk about 
um, how we actually analyze this data. And what it was we a actually, lot. It was a lot. There was a lot of data. And what we actually found. And so the way that we did this is by using an analysis, yeah, a framework. framework that NECA and her team actually came up with. Well, our team, before you came. Before me. Yeah. And then when yeah. I came, we just added to it. And so the five, we use something called the five C's. And so what those five C's are is context, consequences, care, conversation, slash communication, and then a critique. And so on the next episode, uh, when we're talking about this series, we'll actually get into how we use those five C's to analyze our colossal <laughs> kaleidoscope. <laughs> kaleidoscope of data and kind of like what information actually came from it, which is like some of it will actually like surprise you, I think, mm. and some of it will make you feel like yeah. like injustice. Um yeah, I think it's a lot of really good information. It is. And 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 for us it's about hope. Right? That it it um we came out we we're here really really relying on the resilience of survivors mm -hmm. and the fact that despite the horrific horrific experiences that they had experienced they ex experienced women um came with such in Inspiring, hope-filled messages that has led us to make sure that whatever it is that we're developing is actually going to meet the needs that they've identified. Of so all of them. Of all of, of all, all yeah. of them. So yes, yeah. we will see you next time. Yeah, it's been like a lovely conversation. We're gonna do our checkout now, I and I hope you all listen to like the next um, podcast on this series when we actually talk about what we found and talk about how. We like are gonna move forward. So, checkout question: What is your buzz rating, Neka McGregor? Listen, uh, this Inniskillen East West Pinot Grigio is fucking delicious. Oh, wow. I'm telling you, I, I yeah, wait for it. I'm giving this a four point five. Holy moly! Mic drop. This is the most that Neck has ever given. I this think, is right? delicious. It's definitely the highest Neck has ever given. This oh is, my god! This is delicious. Trelawney, you did good. Trelawney listened. Thank you. <laughs> I also want to just say that, like, Neka took a sip and she was like, "That's all right," and we were like, "Oh, okay, cool." Like her <laughs> first impression, like reaction, never tells me how she's gonna go like, at the end. No, no. Because there's sometimes where she's like. Oh, this is great. And then at the end, it's like, ah, two. Yeah, oh. it's true. So now you always surprise me. Yeah. So what was that? A four? 4.5. Did I wow. say? Yeah. That was, that was wow. delicious. Okay. I, okay. So I am a sweet girl. You are. And. Inside and out. Inside and out. <laughs> and this, I never drank Pinot Grigio. Ever. But this one in particular I'm actually going to give it four. <gasps> it was, like, very juicy. Like, very, very juicy. And, like, it does not dry your mouth it's, out. It is. It's very good. So, Trelawney, you did good by me, you too. You did great. Amanda? I would say, like, a, a, a 3.9. Oh, God. Okay. You're neck All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 3.9 is still that's high. That's still high. That's, that's, that's usually NECA. higher than all of your ratings, That is NECA. true. Okay. That's true. <laughs> A 4.13. That is wow. awesome. I think this is the highest rating for a wine. 
We've had other high ones, have we? but like sometimes there's more people here, oh. and so when we have a lot of sweet gals around the table, <laughs> even with your lows, mm. we all swing sweeten. it the other way. We'll sweeten up. So yeah. this is pretty good though. That like, is this really was great, good. especially good. for a like a drier one. It yeah. was delicious. Um, check out questions. Check out questions. So I will ask you guys today, if you had a time machine. Where would you go? What would you do? Would you go back in time or would you go into the future? That is such a great question. Uh, I think I would go forward yeah. in time. I am, everybody that knows me knows that I'm a science fiction buff. <laughs> so I, I, I would go back in time, uh, forward in time to like, I don't know, 150 years from now. Okay, so like 20. 120? No, no, no. Oh my gosh, that was the most terrible math. Please don't hold me to that. It's in a skillet. (laughs) (laughs) It it would be like 2180 or something. Whatever it is, it's 100 and something years ahead. Yeah, got it. Um, Because I am am so here for when we are living like on Mars. Oh, (laughs) okay. I'm, I'm here for that, so... I had guessed you would go forward, but I thought it was going to be something to do with your kids, or, like, your kids' kids, or your uh, kids' kids' kids. Oh, didn't even think of that. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, the first episode where you haven't mentioned your kids, and I'm that's like, oh, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> nope. In the skillin'. Okay, okay. What about you, Amanda? I don't. No, no. I mean, so, like, well, Shalina had given us the question ahead of time. I gotta, gotta out you here. So, like... When you were just like past or like past or future, I was like, oh, past. But then you're like, oh, but when? Like I don't know hmm. when. I just think that like if you do, like, do you just get to go forward and then stay? Like if you go forward and you learn something, like I don't want to like know something ahead of what's going to happen. It scares me. Hmm. Oh wow, okay. So, so I'd go rather behind. go back. Like before you were born. Yeah. Okay. Just like a different time period, I think, like to see what the world was like at a different time. Yeah, I know. It'd probably be smelly. Um, (laughs) Plumbing is like a modern invention. No, I totally understand. Soap. Soap is like a modern invention. I don't know. And then when NECA was, my mind went so many places. Because then when you were like, oh, I'm a science fiction person, I was like, oh, Star Wars, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I was like, that's again in the past. So, like, is Star Wars supposed to be in the past? A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> a long in time ago. Wow, I'm struck. I had no idea. I thought it was very futuristic. I mean, you know it, what? Is, it is futuristic. I'll take but accountability for that. <laughs> I, I should read. Yeah, a long time ago. Got it. Yeah, it's the opening line in yeah. everyone. Yeah. You don't even need to watch past the first 10 You're seconds. Right. You're right. And you know what? I've watched them all. So, like, I have I not. I, oh, I, okay. I know mine was um, Star Trek. So that's like, I uh, also watched Star Trek. Okay. Yeah. So, Sorry. Where, what about you? Where would you go? I would definitely go in the future. I am not a history person. I understand, like, the importance of, like, historical context and, like, what's happened in the history. But, like, pfft, no thanks. <laughs> And they're done that. That's so... Yeah. So I would go forward, but I would not go as far as you. I would go future into, like, my own life. Oh, really? And I wouldn't want to stay there. I would just want to peek. Like, I would just want to take a look. And so, like, I would would probably want to see me at, like, like, maybe, like, 55, 60. Like, I want to see, like, 
what kind of things I've done with my life, when I'm going to die. Yeah, but, like, oh, God. Why would you want to know when you're going to die? Okay, sorry. Oh, because I would, like, I want to know. I want to know. And I, wa- I just want to see, like, where Chris and I are and, like, what's mm-hmm. happening and, like, did we have kids? Do we have kids? Do those kids have kids? Do they not? Like, what kind of life are we living? Where are we living? What are mm-hmm. we doing? Like, I just want to peek. And then I want to go back and, like, live it through. Because, like, I really wish – I know this is getting deeper than I imagined. I know. I'm like, but what? If you see the future, is that going to change how you live your life? Like, I'm like, this is the entire plot of every single time travel movie. So, like, like, I really wish that when I was a teenager, I could have gone forward in time and saw that I would have married – this like beautiful, Aww. wonderful, sweet, intelligent, brave, smart as fuck man. I really, 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 really do. Because I think when I was younger, like teenager, like 14 to like probably like 21, I was so concerned mm-hmm. with boys. And like I was yeah. so concerned with like who am I gonna be with and whatever. And if I could have looked in the future when I was 14, and seeing that, you know what, no matter what you do, you're going to end up with the best one for me. I could have lived my life Aww. in a way of, like, like when I was in university. Like, I picked a university to go to because of a boyfriend I was seeing at the time. I would have picked a different university. That is profound. So, like, that. Shitty I think enough. I've also, like, in university, I had the opportunity to do a exchange exchange in Australia. And I didn't take that because I didn't want to be away because I thought, whatever. Like, all these insecurities, right? And so I think that if I was 14 and I had looked forward to, like, I got married at 24, so 10 years in advance, I think I would have lived those 10 years a little different, very differently. And, like, in a a way that was living for myself and living for my own self-worth and my own things of, like, why why do I want to be here? What are the things I want to do? Instead of, like, who am I living for? What do I want my life to look like with that person? You know what I mean? And so, like, if I could now do that again for, like, other reasons, right? Yeah. Like, whether – not the person I'm with because that's there. But, like, other really? things, I, I, I really do want to see in the future. But, like, what if you seeing 10 years ahead when you were 14 – meant that you changed how you behaved and you didn't end up with, with Chris. Guy, that's that's what premise. time travel movies are all that's about. I'm it. not talking about the butterfly effect here. I'm, I'm just talking about a little peek. Just like lift the curtain a bit and like see what's going on and being like, okay, peace. And go back. <laughs> I get it. It's just that's my, like, that's why I can't go to the future. I, can't, I keep going like, I, I can't. I can't. Like, what if I saw something and I changed and then this and that? Like, that's where my mind goes. Oh, wow. Well, I didn't realize that question was going to go that far. I loved, I loved that question. <laughs> I, I think, think that's, that's the nature of this group. Every, yeah. like, we could get a really simple question and all of us are like, different. here's my dissertation oh, yeah. on it. <laughs> Literally. Like, when we did what, what our last meal was, and I don't know how long or when that question's going to come up, but it was forever. Like, it was as long as the whole podcast. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was brilliant. Um, but yeah, we just want to thank everybody for yeah, being a part been, of this discussion. This has been a great conversation, and we're really, really excited to share everything that we found in the research. We're really excited to share about our next steps with this, and we hope that you're going to come back and join us in, in the series. In the series, yeah. So thanks, everyone. If you have any questions, comments, or anything that you want to add to this podcast, please email us at podcast at 
womenatthecenter.com. And we will see you all next time. We will. Bye. Bye. <laughs>